Well, good morning, First Alliance Church. Thank you so much for welcoming me back here. And I want to say welcome to uh, the church family, to all of our guests who are in the room, and uh, the folks listening in online, welcome to you. And I'd like to say a special welcome to the often forgotten, but most certainly not by me, people who are already behind in their 2023 Bible reading plan. You're not alone, you're not forgotten. Welcome to Sunday service. Well, I'm going to read again that verse from Philippians 4, 6 through 7 as we jump into what the nice man on the screen said is today's message titled Prayer as Petition. We're going to read this asking ourselves the question, what do we mean by petition? So Philippians 4, 6 through 7 from the ESV, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, or have been to Hobby Lobby even one time, you've probably seen or read this verse, I'm sure. It is on one of our bathroom walls somewhere as well decor. I'm confident of it. But with all that exposure to that particular verse, I had never bothered to wonder what is the difference here between prayer and petition. And since verse 6 says that we should both do prayer and petition, let's take just a deeper look here. So there's two different Greek words that are used there. The first one for prayer is prosuche. I'm going to ruin this. I just know it. Prosuche. <laughs> Got to get the in there. And uh, petition, in some translations, uh, rendered supplication is deesis. Deesis. And both of these words are in reference to a requesting type of prayer that both complement and contrast other forms of prayer, like uh, confession or intercession, thanksgiving, declaration, just to name a few, and we're honing in on the asking portion. And I won't pretend that I understand the uh, cultural mind of the first century Greek-speaking Jew, uh, but it seems like from the strongest importance that that word prayer references a corporate gathering in a specific place. So it's kind of like how you might have told someone, I'm going to church today. And we understand that the church is a global body of believers who profess the name of Jesus. They're sanctified by his blood, called according to his purpose. So it's kind of awkward in that context to say, that, well, I'm going to church. But culturally, we understand when you say that, you're talking about a building, a place that houses parts of that body throughout the world. That's where we're going. And that second word, petition, which in some translations is supplication, that is an expression of need, of indigence, an asking, an entreaty before God for things that are essential to our survival. And I'm, I'm drawing that definition from Thayer's Greek lexicon, which, what a resource. The, and the reason I even bother laying the groundwork for this today is because I, I think at times we take our Western understanding of words and then we superimpose them over the top of what the scripture is trying to say to us. 
And it might surprise you to find out that when the Bible was written, English had not yet been conceived in the minds of human beings yet. And even more shocking that the Bible was not written to 21st century Western American Christians, okay? So let's compare the definitions uh, from the Greek to what we might uh, say petition means. So from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, petition is a formal request written, made to an authority. I'm supposed to be running slides. I'm sorry. You've got it. <laughs> they gave me the clicker, and I just, I should have known. I wasn't going to do it. I'm going to try to do better, okay? Thank you. I, there's re it's on the screen there. Okay, so it's a formal written request made to an authority or an organized body, such as a court, or be a written request or call for change, signed by many people in support of a shared cause or concern. And then, let's see if I get this right. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, the... Translation for supplication is to ask humbly or earnestly of. And petition is a tremendous privilege that we have in this country. We can, as citizens, come together and unify around a cause to bring the authorities into agreement with us by using the due process that's granted to us in the Constitution. We have that avenue available. And it is, compared to what we've seen out of like China and Iran lately, we don't have an imminent fear of death or imprisonment. It is a great privilege that we have. But that understanding of petition is not how we should approach prayer as petition. We're not standing in a picket line or signing our names to a form in agreement because God is not our opposition. Should we ask humbly? Well, yeah. Should we ask earnestly? I, of course, I think so. But we're not looking in our prayer as petition to move God off of somewhere that he already is. And like I said earlier, that word deesis that carries the idea of indigence, um, I actually didn't know that word when I saw it, and so the definition of that is a level of poverty in which real hardship and deprivation are suffered and the comforts of life are wholly lacking. And something that's notable about the prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer is that all of them are fundamental to our existence as believers. We would be physically and spiritually indigent without these things. Governance from God, bread to live, forgiveness to give to others, forgiveness received, and deliverance from evil. We cannot live the Christian life without these things. And can you remember, does anybody know, off the top of your head, what is the very first thing that Jesus says when he opens the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, starts in chapter 5, but includes the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6? It's the very first thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'll confess that growing up in uh, church, I have heard this a bajillion times and I don't know that I ever knew what it meant until a few years ago I heard it read from the New Living Translation which has it said this way God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs and since we know that God is a good father I would submit 
that every one of these requests that are laid out in the Lord's Prayer are not trying to move God off of something that he already wants to do, but to bring us into alignment with the things that we should want rightly. And what I've learned as I've explored this passage is that you really don't arrive at the place of biblical petition without recognizing the need that you're in. And I am <laughs> pleading with you today <laughs> to see that petition does not have to do with asking God for our desires, but that this is a gift that God has given us so that we can explore his heart and explore his will and his love through this journey of asking and seeking and finding in the yeses and the nos in life. So I'm gonna open this up in prayer. Thank you, God, that you're a good father. That as we open up your word, we can start with the fundamental understanding that you are good and your love endures forever. And I pray, Lord, that your faithfulness would extend to us today that you would come to us in our desperate place of need, even if we haven't seen it yet. And God, open our eyes to the reality of the word and how you intend to use us in your kingdom story. In Jesus' name, amen. So the takeaways from the introduction are this. I went too fast. A, we can abandon the idea that our petition somehow draws an oppositional God into agreement with us. And B, if our requests are related to the desperate need that we have for him, the needs he already longs to fulfill, then petition is for us a gift that we have from God to seek out his heart and understand his will. So with that groundwork laid, I wanna offer you what I will call the three P's of petition today. That's right, I'm using alliteration. <laughs> I grew up in a Baptist church, which is probably why I don't understand half the scriptures, but um, I, that was, a, that was a jab for all my Baptist friends out there. Um, but you don't preach at a Baptist church without alliteration, so I thought I'd uh, add that in there. The first is going to be for us the privilege of petition. And from that passage we read together, Luke 18, 7 through 8, And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, uh, last year, First Alliance Church had the genuine privilege of hosting a couple funerals and wakes for families that lost their children to violence in our city. And um, it became rather unpopular to host uh, funerals like this last year after um, a shooting at a funeral that wounded a couple House of Day employees. And um, I just want to say a thank you to the leadership of First Alliance who decided that it was better to do what was right in God's eyes than to yield to the fear of man, to all the what-ifs. And I, I want to boast in the Lord that I get to be a part of an organization that has a heart like this, that could be generous in this way, 
And I, that generosity also, I have to say thank you to all of you who give because you made it possible for us to supply the needs of families that were deeply grieving. But one of those funerals was for a young man who was 17 years old uh, named Marvelous Walton. Uh, he was killed and his friend was very seriously injured in uh, July of 2022. And that was a very heavy ceremony. And there was just so much grief. And there was so much brokenness from his friends, his family members, the teachers and employers and coaches that had poured into this young man. And uh, Toledo Police uh, was uh, super kind and did the outside security for us. And um, I did inside security in the sanctuary. I was feeling very good about myself. I had my bulletproof vest on under my coat. I had a James Bond mojo going on. <laughs> and I felt really, really uh, good until the sanctuary got fuller and fuller, until it was packed to standing room. And as I surveyed the crowd, I'm telling you, friends, um, let's see, there's a photo there. There were more guns in this room than butter and a Paula Deen recipe. I mean, it was stacked in here. And I was, uh, I, was, I will admit that I was quite afraid. But as the pastor began to preach, there was a hush that came over the room. And he shared from 2 Chronicles 7.14. And for our purposes today, I'm going to read us through verse 16. It says, if my people who are called by my name. Did I go too far? There we go, thank you. Sorry, we're playing like ping pong back here. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And of course, the context for this is the consecration of Solomon's temple. But as I looked around the room at these grieving, angry people, it was like God opened my eyes to see something that was so obvious that should have been apparent to me the whole time. But I felt this question in my spirit. That before Jesus rescued you from sin, what power did you hold over sin? It came to me that the people that we perceive to be the problem have no power to enact the solution. And these are the very people that Jesus left his throne in heaven to come and save. Our inaction is the problem. Now we know that Solomon's temple in Jerusalem does not exist anymore. That place is gone. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we have writings that say the, the temple veil was split. And we have the apostolic writings that tell us that God now dwells in us. So the place where he sets his eyes and his heart is now in you and in me. It's not a place 
that is built of stone and decorated in gold, but God has chosen us to be his dwelling place. We are a people for God's own possession. It does not say if those people causing problems are called according to my name. No, this is my people. Called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. People apart from God do not have the privilege of calling on him like we do. And when I look around this room, I see a bunch of sane, sober, moral, prudent people who de-escalate, escape, and avoid violence at every turn. And I think that it would be very easy to say, hey, it's not my problem, man. It's, it's easy for us to say the, the bad things out there, it's not my problem. But glory and honor and praise be to God that he never took that position with you. Was our sin Jesus' problem? I mean, I suppose that God could have fixed that problem of sin from heaven. I suppose God could have just nuked us. I mean, I don't know if he really had to deal with us at all. But we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. His love for us was so deep and so wide and so high that he came to be here so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus wasn't the problem, but he solved it and he commissions us to be the force of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And hasn't he done it for you? Hasn't he done it for me? If we who have been forgiven so much, do we love much? And does it show up in your petitions, in your requests, in your expression of need? What are the types of things that we're praying about? We have this privilege, and we're to use it for his kingdom to come on earth. I want to pray over you a verse from Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In Jesus' name, God, open our eyes. It's such a privilege you've laid on us. Second P we'll move into. Oh, yeah, that was, okay, here we go, there we go. The preclusions of petition. <laughs> I'm making this, I had to get the alliteration, right? This is a bit of a stretch. But uh, preclusion simply means to uh, the action of preventing something from happening. Um, but what are the types of things that really keep us from leaning into prayer? Uh, a, I think this is the first one that comes up for me, is that we really don't believe that when we pray, it counts. And I'm so thankful for plagiarism because uh, someone much smarter than me wrote about this. It was C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote an essay called The Case Against Prayer, and it's in his book titled God in the Dock. But here's a short excerpt from that writing. He says, the case against prayer is this. The thing that you ask for is either good for you and for the world in general, or else it is not. If it is, then a good and wise God 
will do it anyways, and if it is not, then he won't. In neither case can your prayer make any difference. But if this argument is sound, surely it is an argument not only against praying, but also against doing anything else. Why then do we not argue, as the opponents of prayer argue, that if God will bring it to pass without your interference, why wash your hands? If God intends them to be clean, then they'll come clean without your washing them. And if he doesn't, they'll remain dirty no matter how much soap that you use. Why ask for the salt? Why put on your boots? Why do anything? We know that we can act and that our actions produce results. Everyone who believes in God, therefore, must admit that God has not chosen to write the whole of history with his own hand. Most of the events that go on in the universe are indeed out of our control, but not all of them. It is like a play. Sorry, I'm, I'm, there you go. It is like a play in which the scene and the general outline of the story is fixed by the author, but certain minor details are left for the actors to improvise. It may be a mystery why he should have allowed us to cause real events at all, but it is no odder that he should have allowed us to cause them by praying than by any other method. Now, towards the end of Jesus' life, he began to warn his disciples that he was going to go. And this was a little nerve-wracking for them because Jesus had said, I don't know, some kind of mean things <laughs> to some of the religious leaders of the day um, and got the disciples in some hot water socially. Uh, not to mention the government leaders that Jesus had stirred up no small quandary with uh, preferred to use capital punishment uh, for things like theft. Do you remember the guys on either side of Jesus? Okay, so it, it was probably a little bit comforting for them to have a leader to stand behind. But what did Jesus say in 16, uh, sorry, John 16, 7? He says, nevertheless... I went too far here. There we go. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So it wasn't good enough for his disciples to stand with him. Jesus could make the Father's heart known to them, but if they were going to do the Father's heart, if they are going to be the Father's heart, then God the Holy Spirit would have to be inside of them. And they could have spent their whole lives hiding behind Jesus, but as mysterious as it is, God wanted to express the reality of his love and to write his story through them. He wants to write his story through you. What does it mean if in the Lord's Prayer we pray for his kingdom to come on earth if it is not the manifestation of that kingdom in his people? When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come in Luke 17, 20 through 21, he answers them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. To overcome this sense that your petition really may not matter we have to lay down our own pride 
and our own arrogance that thinks that we're not in desperate need for God's kingdom to be enacted through us. And then we have to forsake the idea that God intends to establish his kingdom without our partnership with him. If you're a child of God, then you carry the kingdom of God with you. And I think that we learn what it means to be citizens of this kingdom, what our rights are, what our duties are, as we pray and petition God. So I'm not going to beat this point to death. We still have one more P to get through. But another preclusion to petition is the fact that sometimes we have prayed in desperation. We have prayed earnestly. Perhaps we prayed in ways that we assume are in alignment with God's will, and the answer is no. I'll never forget being at a memorial service here at the church, and a friend of the girl who had passed was just weeping, just broken with such a heavy disappointment. And I was sitting at a table with Ellie Murdoch, and with so much wisdom, so much grace, she leaned over to me and said, when you love much, you lose much. And if you're wondering what to do with the fear of trusting God with something so big <laughs> that you stand a chance of losing so much, then I want to tell you that I don't know. I don't have a good answer, but I think that it's something that we can lay down along the way as we're on this faith journey, this idea that we have to have all of the answers. And I think sometimes we're scared to petition God because God says no and we're just scared of that deep, deep disappointment. So it becomes apathy and we do nothing. Trust involves intimacy, and it's hard to trust God enough to let him let you down. My mom's been sick for a really long time now, and you guys have seen what a rock star she is. But I don't know what to make of that. And truthfully, as I was writing this message, it occurred to me that I don't remember the last time that I really laid it out to the Lord, that I really petitioned him for her healing. And I feel like a liar telling you today that you should pray and never give up. But I want to remind you, in case it's not obvious for those of you who know me, that I am not the standard of perfection, <laughs> okay? The word of God is our standard of perfection, and he calls us onward and upward in Christ Jesus, and I'm just not there yet. I've done a lot of work all last year uh, doing prayer with our neighbors in North Toledo, and I really sensed that 2023 was going to be the first year in almost a decade that we had no homicides in our community. And then January 9th, DeAsia Green was found murdered in an alley on Page Street at 15 years old. 
And I've been really struggling with that. Yesterday, I got some bad news. My buddy Jeff Jones, avid worshiper, amazing photographer, moved to Hamilton, Ohio a few years back um, with his wife to run an orphanage for kids in the foster care system. And he went missing on Friday, and they found his body on Saturday in a place where he normally would go to take photos. And he leaves behind a wife and three boys that they had adopted. And man, I had prayed that they would find him. That he would be alive somewhere, but he wasn't. And some of you in this room have prayed earnestly, and you've lost friends, you've lost family, you've lost siblings or children, things like cancer and COVID, and stuff that just seems so unfair. It just seems horribly offensive to me that I would offer you some spiritual platitude like that would make it all better. I don't think there's an easy answer for questions like that. But I do believe that Jesus loves me. And I believe he's sustaining the breath that's in my lungs. And I believe he's close when my heart is really broken. Now it could be 8.30 p.m. on a cold, wintry mix kind of night, and my beautiful baby boy, in earnest, asks to go outside after he just got out of the bathtub. <laughs> and if you've had a toddler, you know that there are not words <laughs> in the English language to console the kind of grief that that little boy feels when you tell him no, because he just doesn't, he doesn't understand. And so I hold him, and I hug him, and I refuse to give him the objectively good thing that he wants. Outside is good. We love going outside. It's just not part of the plan for the night. And frankly, he doesn't need to understand. He needs to obey. And we don't need to understand. We need to obey. Our default position, our fallback position, is that our Father is good. We can lean on the nature of His character and the knowledge that He is good might not even diminish the hurt. It's going to help you survive it. He's our Red Sea, and he's our Jordan River. He leads us in to the wilderness of desolation, and he leads us out into the promised land. And we trusted him going in. We're going to trust him going out. Look for the fingerprints that God leaves behind when the answer is no. God, I pray that you would be our consolation. I know there's just been so much grief the last few years for people that have lost and lost and lost. We trust you, Jesus. Help us to search and stop at nothing because you're just not that hard to find. I 
I'm going to welcome Luke back to the stage for our last P, which I'll bounce to here. The practice of petition. Something that we can do to build this as a rhythm and a pattern in our lives is to set a daily alarm. Every one of us carries around something to this effect, and even the most rudimentary versions have a alarm setting of some kind that you can set to go off. And if you've ever been around me at 1.44 p.m., any day of the week, you've probably heard my phone go off, and you've probably seen me snooze it. Because <laughs> the reality is that there's nothing special about 1.44 p.m., okay? It's just, it's a number I picked because what I'm praying is Psalm 144. I'm praying that over my neighborhood, that there would be no more breaching of walls, there'd be no more going to captivity, there'd be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And I pray it every day. And I pray for specific neighbors, and I pray for stuff I don't understand, and it's usually rushed. But what I've noticed is that just by picking it up once a day, the way that I pray and the things that I pray for are changing. It's another privilege is that God builds into us as he raises us up more and more the knowledge of his heart. And this is a great, easy practice. You don't have to pray for 15 minutes. You don't have to pray out loud. You pray in your heart. But I want you to find something in your life that you cannot accomplish. I want you to find something that represents indigence and desperation for God. Is it an unsaved family member? Is there a problem plaguing your community? I've hinted at homicides in our city, and that's a super easy place to start. The gospel only reaches people this side of the grave. There's no opportunity on the other side of the grave to make a choice. Today is the day of salvation. And there are all kinds of scriptures throughout the Bible that indicate to us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he desires that all should come to repentance, and it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. And so when you found that thing, I want you to add a scripture to it. And you can use that as your alarm time or whatever. But praying the word and making it a practice is an easy way to jump in. And so we're going to take just a quick uh, little bit here. Um, if, if you're physically able, would you join me and just hop down to your knees? In this exercise, I would like us to, as Luke uh, just sings over us, we're going to pray and ask God to show us what to ask for. Lord's Prayer is kind of a fundamental outline for us. And I will, uh, when Luke is finished singing, I will uh, close us in prayer for uh, this portion with uh, something that's been on my heart. But let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> 